has been good to us. In the middle of winter. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord today. We have a lot of people gone today. It's just one of those. Okay, well, I pull this out and then move this around and we'll get it in a better position. what's going on, what has gone on. God give us a tremendous victory a few weeks ago this month. Actually, it was on the 8th. And I thought about how God has a sense of humor on the 8th. 8th is a new beginning. And uh, this church, those of you that have been around a while, you, you know exactly what has happened. What has happened in the spirit world has manifest in the political world. And... Um, We pressed and we pressed and we pressed for a long time. And then we got a breakthrough. And, you know, you would think, I, I thought a couple of years ago, my wife is going to retire and we can roam around the country, roam around the world, do whatever we want. We can come and go and whatever. Well, it hadn't exactly been like that. The Lord has just put me here and uh, we've we've all fought that battle together and then when the battle was won it was like whoo now it may not have affected you like that but that's how it affected me and that's how it affected pastor and so the first thing I felt a release I got out of Dodge for a couple of weeks and um was in Louisiana for a while and then in Texas for a while, a few days, and then I came back and Pastor has gone and he'll be back in a few days and we'll get back to, to uh, well, say we'll get back to normal. There's no, you know, it'll, what, we'll get back. And, um, but in the meantime, winter came and here we are. Uh, we do have a number that are sick and we and we want to remember them. They'll they'll get better. Uh, thank you, Jesus. That's that's what you know. That's I've thought about it a lot of times. We grew up. We weren't wealthy growing up, and I never know of my mom and dad having health insurance. Any any of our time growing up, four kids, no health insurance ever. And so if we got sick, we got sick. We got better. And it kind of, you know, that kind of sets the tone for your mindset the rest of your life. I mean, we, I had the mumps, I had the measles, I had the flu, I had everything that everybody has, and I got better. I got well, and I'm here. And that's why that is one reason with this virus going around, I had it too back in March. Guess what? I survived. I'm here. I got better. And it, and it taints your thinking. Oh, you're sick. Oh, you'll be better next week. And it's, it's not being calloused and uh, not concerned. It's just that's how I grew up. So, yeah, they'll be better. They'll be here next week. Uh, pray for them. Uh, give them strength, Lord. And, and here we go. But uh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today. And I do have something I want to share with you. Um, for those of you that may have uh, been here uh, or not been here as long as, as the others, we are glad to, to have everyone here in the house of the Lord that 
that is able to be here today. Uh, if you would stand, I will go into the reading of the word of the Lord. Let me just say, before it slips my mind again, in March, March, the weekend of March 21, that is, March 21 is first day of spring. That weekend, we will be having a 10-year anniversary for pastor. It's hard. Can you believe he's been pastor 10 years coming up in March? Um, and so keep that in mind. Also, I think it's three weeks from today. You don't want to miss it. Brother George Hurt is going to be with us Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. 20 years ago, if I understand correctly, he was in prison and uh, way, way, way from God, didn't know anything about God. And in the last 20 years, God got him out of prison and has made it very powerful. You don't want to miss that. That's one of those things. Bring everybody you can because this guy's got a testimony. And uh, beside that, he's powerful. He's very, very powerful, and I am very excited. Pastor told me uh, uh, last week, he said, I think he's one of these guys that will just keep coming back from time to time. And um, so we uh, are, are looking forward to that. Um, the book of Luke, chapter 19. I'll read one verse, and then I'll let you be seated. <clears throat> what we're we're trying to work in also, and with all of this business that's going on, uh, having a banquet maybe on Saturday if it works out, and that will be a uh, the church will take care of that. So it won't it won't be a, a pay to come deal. Uh, going to have a video presentation. We're going to try to do it up nice as nice as as possible. Uh, if we are able to get a venue, from what I kind of gather, some places are reluctant to rent out uh, some their places for a banquet. I guess I, I we're going to try. We're going to see. Things are opening up a little bit, and so it'll be a good weekend, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise God. You can be seated. Things are going to open up. Uh, They've got to open up way beyond uh, what they are now because the gospel has got to be preached around the world. In the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I have been um, communicating with India and um, they are having very bad issues there. I'm not sure if they are even being able to have church or not, uh, but as soon as India opens up, I probably will be uh, spending significant time over there. God is going to give a tremendous, tremendous revival to South India. I know I have told you about it before, but uh, very regularly, uh, in prayer, I, and I believe I did this morning when I was over here early this morning, uh, the apostle Thomas went to India and prayed, and God sent a measure of revival, and, and no one knows how big of a revival it was uh, back in the first century, but Thomas knew how to pray, and he got promises from God that have not yet been fulfilled, and I have, I have prayed and I thought, you know, what would be a significant revival for a nation of 1.2 billion people? 
Now that is four times the population of the United States. They are on one third of the land area of the United States. So if you go over to the other side of in Indiana and go east, that would be about the size of India from there to the Atlantic Ocean or from there over maybe to Colorado. It is one third the size of the United States and four times the population. You, you go to a city there and you think, oh, this is, this is a nice city, it's an okay sized city. Yeah, kind of like in China too. Uh, and then you realize, no, this city has 14 million people in it. And, and, and you're just in it, you think, oh, well, it's, it's a big city, but we have no concept. To us, New York City is a big city. Eight million, I think, in the metro area. Uh, Chicago, uh, three million, whatever, and then that's a big city. Uh, maybe four million, something like that. But uh, over there, 10 million, 14 million people, 20 million people in a city. And, and I started praying, and I, uh, praying, God, they have to have a revival, an end-time harvest of 10 million people. Then I got to doing the math. Now, you do the math of uh, what the percentage of 10 million people is compared to 1.2 billion people, and it's very insignificant. So I started praying, God, you've got to send a revival of 50 million people. You do the math of 50 million people as opposed to 1.2 billion people, that is insignificant. But we've got to have a starting point somewhere. And we all believe and we know that God is going to send a great end time harvest. And I believe that it is going to begin the beginnings of it this year. That's my personal opinion. I'm not prophesying. I'm just telling you I believe it is going to begin and I believe it's going to begin very strongly in this church before the end of this year we're going to see some tremendous uh, revival that takes place in this building. And when it does, we can't think of it in human terms of what man can do because just like the day of Pentecost, it's going to be a sovereign move of God. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, and I'll read that scripture in, in a little bit to come, there was a, a sound of a rushing mighty wind. That came from God. Man didn't create that wind. That wind came from God. And this end time harvest is going to be a wind that comes from God. And when it does, it's going to be much bigger. And I can almost take off in that direction right now because God has, has given me that message, the same thing I preached to you 15 years ago, uh, 20 years ago. I've got to go to India and preach that same thing and prepare them for what God is going to do. There's going to come a tremendous wind of the Holy Ghost. It's going to be the end time harvest that is going to come and it is going to sweep people in by the millions. It's going to be something that the world has never seen before. Even the first generation, uh, the, the day of Pentecost, those that were there, what they saw will be nothing compared to what we will see when the last day harvest comes. And so we've got to... We've got to Prepare our mind and prepare our thinking and, and allow our faith to reach out there because God is going to do that great work. Praise God. Praise God. Son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I remember in my own life when I was a child from because of my background, because of my upbringing, I, I, I was thinking the other day, or yesterday, maybe it was, trying to remember when it was in a spiritual sense that I lost my innocence. And by that I mean as a child is innocent. You never worry about a child. We got, we got a new baby. Is this the first time in church today? Second. All right. Let's uh, thank you, Jesus, for this child is innocent. And he has some brothers that are a little bit older than him. I've got uh, a 
grandchild that is at Disney today, three years old, has no real concept of being saved or being lost. This child is innocent, but there will come a time when God begins to deal with that child, and, and it's really a strange thing, uh, almost scary to me, because he told his grandmother, I don't see her, she must be in the nursery, that he wants the Holy Ghost. I'm thinking, wow, at three years old, uh, we'll get him prayed through before he turns five, probably. But there comes a point when God starts to deal with a child at some point, we like to think that the age of accountability is somewhere around 11, 12, 13. But again, it's different with everybody. And no, there, there, there's none. And with some, it was uh, at a younger age than others. But there comes a time when, when every human being loses their innocence. And that is when God starts dealing with them and tugging at their heart and letting them know that they need him as their savior. I, I was thinking yesterday, trying to think, is it possible for me to remember when it was that I lost my innocence? And I cannot, but I, I re do remember, and I have told this story before uh, some several years ago of time when I was about nine or ten years uh, and, and ever since I could remember, I, I remember my dad preaching and saying, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need to be baptized. You need to get right with God. But we were in the yard and uh, playing around, and uh, I looked up, and I didn't see my mom and dad. And I went into the house, and they were gone. And uh, I looked, started looking for my mom and dad, and I panicked. I would have been at this time in the fourth grade, so that would make me about 10. And I panicked. I thought the rapture had taken place. I run to my sister and I said, mom and daddy are gone. And I'm sure, you know, she would have been eight or nine at the time. She never really registered with her the panic that I was feeling at that time. She saw them get in a car with someone to go down the block or whatever. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, they were back home. But that has been, wow, if I was 10, that's been 57 years ago. It's been a long time. I remember that day right now. At least by that time, I knew that if Jesus came back, I was lost and that there was no hope for me. And I lived with that for a long time. I received the Holy Ghost at age 18. And so for at least for these eight years between age 10 and 18, and it probably started before then, I had a conscious awareness that if Jesus came or if something happened to me, I was lost. It's now been a very long time, since 1972. That's been a long time. Next year will be 50 years. It's been 49 years coming up on the 11th of March that I knew I was saved. And it has been long enough to be really honest with you that I have forgot what it, in real terms, what it is like to feel lost. But during those times, it made enough impact on me that I know that that is a terrible, terrible feeling. But that's where our world is today. But that's who Jesus Christ came to save. Those who are lost. 
In Ephesians 12, or, or 2 and verse 12, the Bible said that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You want to paint a bleak picture? I don't think that anyone could paint a better picture of being lost than Paul painted in the second chapter of Ephesians right here. You are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Israel were his covenant people. They were the saved people. Strangers from the covenants of promise, which means you had no, no promise. We can rejoice today, those of us who are saved, because we have a promise. I've got a promise. I could drop dead right now, which I'm not going to do because I have a promise of things that God is going to do in my life between now and that time. You, you, you want to be safe? Get in a car with me and go somewhere. Get on a plane with me. You are as safe as you will ever be because I have some unfulfilled promises that God is going to fulfill in my life. But I'm not talking about primarily promises of what God's going to do in your life. I'm talking about promise of eternal life on the other side when this life is over. I have a promise of heaven one of these days. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I'm going to see him face to face. And, and I'm going to live in eternity with him. Those are promises that we have. But no hope. No hope. I was thinking uh, 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 this morning in, in my kitchen. There's no way that we can comprehend hell. It is so bad. In hell, among other things, and those of you that have heard the um, uh, sermon that Brother Wright preached, The Seven Horrors of Hell, uh, will remember. And those of you who haven't, go to, go to YouTube and Google not Google and YouTube, but go to YouTube and look up The Seven Horrors of Hell by Brother Wright. Among other uh, torments of hell is everyone will be alone and isolated by themselves. He makes a statement that in hell, the only voice you will ever hear will be that of your own scream. Hell is so big, everybody will be so separated. And I thought, now where's the scripture that's going to say that? But but uh, where that is, is in the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was comforted and the rich man was tormented. One of the basic things that every baby needs. I saw Brother Travis holding that little baby just a moment ago. That When that baby is born, wants somebody to cuddle it and to hold it and to comfort it. Adults, when they go through an issue in their life, sometimes whether it is the loss of a loved one, someone just to put their hand around them and say, we're praying for you, uh, I, I, we love you, and, and we're concerned. It is a form of comfort. In hell, there will be no comfort. You will be tormented for endless eternity by yourself and isolated from every human being. You may know that those children that you never witnessed to or, or your neighbor or whoever that, that you loved is in torment with you, but you can never get to them. You can never, never communicate with them. God will not allow there to be any comfort in hell. We're talking about no hope. And I was thinking in my kitchen uh, this morning, there's, there's no way that, that we can comprehend never hearing the sound of another human being, the touch, at a time when we are being tormented nonstop for eternity. There is no time in hell. It is endless, endless endless. In hell you will remember every time someone did you wrong and that unforgiveness that you did not forgive them of will play in your mind and that anger and that 
bitterness and that hatred that you have in your heart because of unforgiveness will play over and you will be tormented because of that. All of these things that uh, drug addicts will be going through constant withdrawal, never escaping withdrawal in hell. It is a terrible thing to be lost and to know that if Jesus was to come today that we are not saved. But at that time you were without Christ, aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. No hope and without God, without a Savior. That's where everyone is until they come to uh, God and allow him to fill them with the Holy Ghost and they are baptized in Jesus' name. That's where everybody is until they come to God. That's where our world is today. And if there's someone in this room today, you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name, I'm telling you that you need a Savior. In Matthew 24 and 40, the Bible says, two shall be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the meal. One shall be taken and the other left. We rejoice at those that are taken, but we cannot comprehend the severity of those that are left. I'm telling you, no one needs to walk out of this building today in a lost condition. God is talking to everybody in this room today and telling you, you don't have to leave lost. You can be saved. There's nothing more tragic or worse than being lost. I have many, many times tried to visualize hell and the torments of hell. And I'm thankful to God that he will not allow us to see because it, it would be too much for our mind to, to comprehend. We're just not geared. We don't have the capacity to understand the torment that is there. There's no rest there is no drink of water. The uh, rich man, when he came back and spoke to Lazarus, give me just a drop of water, just a drop of water. All of the desires that we have in this life, an individual will have in hell. But there will be no fulfillment. There will, we, the Bible specifically speaks of thirst for water. There will be no food. We've already talked about it. There'll be no comfort. It's, it's just, there'll be no, Paul wrote it here, there'll be no hope knowing that 10 billion times 10 billion years down the road be right where we are. I never really thought about it until this morning when I was meditating on this. We, in, in this life, we have hope. We may have a bad day, but what is it when we have a bad day? Oh, well, tomorrow will come. It's going to be better tomorrow. It's been raining yesterday and it was raining a little bit this morning, snowing a little bit this morning. Okay, we look at the weather forecast and on, I think it is Wednesday and Thursday, either Wednesday, Thursday or Tuesday, Wednesday, the temperature is going to get up to 41 degrees. That is halfway agreeable. And so I this morning was looking ahead. How many days till we get a little bit warmer weather and it's not going to be as cold? And that's what we do. We have hope in this life on a, on a temporal basis that we're, we're so geared to and accustomed to. It's winter now, but spring is, is only about two and a half two months, two and a half months away. There'll be a lot better winter and then summer will come and we'll be out. We look forward. I don't care if it's 10 below zero. Well, next week it's going to be warmer. But in hell, there's no looking forward. That's, that's where it is. I'm talking about being lost. I'm talking about not having hope. Two are going to be in the field. 
One's going to be taken, but one is going to be left. Two women are going to be grinding at the mill. One is going to be taken, but somebody is going to be left. Those that were left had an opportunity because they were right there with someone who was taken. At the very least, they saw the lifestyle. They saw the witness that one had. And so they did not make their, their um, decision to live for God. There are several different kinds of lost or people that are lost in, in different categories, if I could say it that way, and that's probably a little bit uh, uh, quirky, but... Uh, in Luke 15 and 32, we have the prodigal. He was lost willingly. At one time he was saved, but he walked away from God. The Bible says it was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this is thy brother, this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. He made a conscious decision willingly. I'm going to leave the father's house and I'm going to go and I'm going to have my fun. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live it up and, and I'm going to just, just do what I want to do. And he went to that place and wound up. The Bible called him, if you read the context of the entire setting, the Bible called him lost. There was a time he was in the father's house and then there was a time that, that, that uh, he was under the protection of the father and everything was okay but something happened in his life and he decided I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try it and, and he got or came to a lost condition. Willingly, he made a conscious decision but thank God the love of God reaches out to those who even make dumb decisions. I've been praying regularly. There are backsliders in this city and in this county that we don't even know who they are. They have migrated here from other places. And I've prayed and told God, God, they may have... Uh, not kept their end of the bargain, but you still have a covenant with them. And I repent for them for whatever they have done. And I'm asking you to remember your covenant that you have made with them and bring them to the house of God. And I believe the day's going to come that they're going to start coming in. And if we as a church will remember and pray for them, God still has a covenant with them. And he's going to bring them in. Praise God. I was talking with Brother Tracy in the aisle here during offering time of a particular person that at one time came in here and received the Holy Ghost and was baptized. If I, I am correct in that, right? And uh, he's lost his way. But I believe, and Brother Tracy was telling me, I believe this year, he's going to be back. And I believe that too because God is still reaching for them. He has a covenant with them. And I'm going to tell you, some of you, you, you may have loved ones and whatever. Repent for them. Repent for them. They may not think of it. They may not know to repent for themselves. But God will accept a repentance. That's in the Bible. In, 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 in Nehemiah 9 and in Daniel 9, both of those men repented for sins they did not commit. And God looked on that and received that. And that will help activate that uh, covenant that he has for them. And then there are those that just become lost. In Matthew 18 and 11 to 13, the Bible says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think you, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which was gone astray? Some of them put their head down and start grazing in the terms of sheep. 
And the shepherd takes the flock and gets on the other side of the hill and that sheep looks up and the rest are gone and sheep don't have a sense of direction. And they're just lost. There can be any number of reasons why the sheep just went, just got lost, got preoccupied, too many hours on the job and trying to make ends meet and get distracted and get cold and just go, go astray. Didn't intend to do it. They didn't wake up that morning and think, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go astray. They just got astray. But regardless of the reason, they're lost. Didn't mean to do it. Just got with the wrong crowd and in a weak moment did something that they should not have done and they get tripped up and the devil comes and tells them, you've done it now, there's no need for you to go back to the house of God, God won't forgive you and all of these things that the enemy will tell an individual when they get lost and, and here they are, they just get weak and down on themselves and just they just go astray. Good people, in their heart they love God, but they just went astray. I'm going to tell you, God's going to bring them back. Jesus, in this parable, went, he left the 90 and 9, he put them in the pen and made sure they were safe and secure, and then he went to look for that one sheep that went astray. I'm going to tell you, that's how much he loves every one of them. Praise God. Praise God. It doesn't matter what the reason is. It doesn't matter. He came to seek and to save the lost. The Bible says in verse 13, And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than the ninety and nine which went astray. Rejoicing. I found the one. I found the one. I found the one. Well, the other ninety and nine, they were happy and contented and full and and they were over there sleeping and napping and, and, and uh, uh, very contented. But, but here he was rejoicing. There, Here was one that was lost. I'm going to tell you what. If there's somebody here, maybe you just got distracted and messed up, whatever. Heaven will rejoice over just one. Just one. The Bible says the angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. I don't care how oftentimes God deals with masses and multitudes and we like to look at the day of Pentecost and think, oh, he's dealing with masses and, and with great crowds of people and Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 uh, 4, and, and, and uh, there were times that, that many multitudes followed him, but he always had time for the one. I'm going to tell you, you are important to God. You are important to God. I don't care if you've messed up. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what your situation is. God cares about you. And then there was that one that didn't know he was lost. And overwhelmingly that is the story in our world today. Seven billion people. I pray it so often And remind the Lord, God, there are 7 billion people in this world today, and out of that, you saved me. I thank him for that almost every day. But in Luke 15, 8, either the woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it, And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. 
There's no such thing as God sweeping something on under the rug and saying, oh, I've got, I've got nine. I'm okay. I've got 99. I can, one is only 1%. No, it's not like that. This lady swept and she looked diligently. Oh, she had nine pieces of silver. Surely this was not going to break the bank. She wasn't going to have to apply for food stamps just because she lost one little coin. It was not a life-altering situation. But God is using this to get it home to us. Even those, the coin has no consciousness. He used, he used an illustration of something that, that, that had no consciousness, no knowledge. Those that are out there that don't know the name of Jesus, that don't know that they're lost, that have no concept of heaven or hell, that have no concept of salvation. He's looking, he's seeking, reaching for anybody that will respond. I'm talking about a God that loves you so much. It doesn't make any difference whether you're the prodigal or you're the lost sheep that just became lost or you're the coin that didn't even know it was lost. He's looking and reaching and, and trying to bring you to a place to where you can be saved. Why is it so important? It's because there is such a penalty. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. I'm not talking about the death that we first think of when we see someone in, in a casket, but that's the second death where there is nothing that anyone can do. That wages of sin is death. Matthew 7 and 21, the Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Matthew 22 and 13. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a place beyond darkness. It is called outer darkness and the darkness is so intense that it causes men to gnash their teeth. And to be in pain. We can't, we can't comprehend that, folks. We're talking about being lost. We're talking about not having God. For many are called, but few are chosen. But God has a plan. There's no individual that has ever been born that at one time was not lost. I was lost lost until March the 11th 1972 and God came and filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost this is the heartbeat of God God created man so that he could love man and so that man could respond to him I've talked about it and, and mentioned it a number of times the creation of angels had to have been great but angels were never lost. God did not redeem the angels. The angels never sinned. But God created man with a sin nature. Created man and then when Adam sinned, they took on a sin nature. And God knew in his foreknowledge this would happen. So now man has to make a choice. And the great thing about it is that those that are going to be saved are going to be those that had the right to make a choice to go that way. But they made a decision, I'm going to shun that and I'm going to live for God. Angels never had that opportunity. 
They were never lost. But the Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the birthday of the church. This was the promise that God had given to the disciples before he went away. He said, I want you to go and tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. And that was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Folks, this is where it all turns around. And now those who were lost, which was every bit of humanity, now has an opportunity to let God come into their heart and take control and God will come in and will save you. If you walk out of here lost today, it will be because you made that decision. Because God is giving you an opportunity to come to him today and be saved. No one has to walk out and be lost. I don't believe a Christian should gamble. But if you're going to gamble, don't gamble with your soul. It's greed. It is, it is, it is of the world to take good money that, sh that, that you earn. And really, if we belong to God, everything he has belongs to him. And, and, and so really... What we call our money is really his money because at any time he can say, I want this or I want that. But what we're doing then is taking what is God's money and gambling with it. And I don't feel that Christians should do that. But if you're going to gamble, if you're going to sin, don't do it with your soul because you might can get another dollar, but you can't get another soul. If you're lost, there's no coming back. That's 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 uh, something we've got to come to grips with when we lose a friend or go to a funeral and we realize this person was not a Christian and uh, they they didn't know God. I remember one time, 25 years ago, a man I sat beside a, a, a man and he said, "I don't believe in this Bible stuff." I forget exactly how he said it, but but he was not into Christianity. Well, the, the thing of it is, is uh, five or six years later, he died. His name was Al. One time, I think I was a neighbor to him, and he died. There's no there's no coming back. You don't gamble with your soul. I do not want to live one moment, not one minute, without Jesus. Because if I tried it for one moment and the trumpet sounded on that one moment, I have gambled my eternity. I know the this Powerball deal, the odds are astronomical that you're going to win. But it would be better to try odds that are so astronomical. I don't know how many multiplied millions that are against you winning. But you can't get another dollar. But don't gamble with your soul. Not one moment, not one day. You've got to be saved. You've got to be saved. You're looking at someone... I'm going to be saved. I don't care what i got to do. I am going to be saved. God will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. On the day of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost was poured out. The Bible says they begin to speak with other tongues, as uh, with tongues as fire and set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And then... 
20 or, or 120 got it at this time. And then before the day was over, 3,000 received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Peter said unto them, uh, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, the water is warm. You need to be baptized before you go home. If you haven't received the gift of the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues as they did on the day of Pentecost, you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost today. You must go home saved. Don't gamble with eternity. You've got to be saved. I'm telling you, an offense may be a real offense, but don't let an offense trip you up and say, I can keep this attitude and I'll get right down the road. No, you need to get right today because Jesus could come tomorrow and, and if you've got this offense and, and he comes and, 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 and you've got ought against your brother and, and, and you're not right with God, you've gambled with your eternity. He's calling someone today. He wants you to make a decision. I'm going to walk out of here saved today. Greatest decision you'll ever make. Let's stand, shall we?